chapter 22. So if you want to open your Bibles, go ahead. It's, uh, we, it's 80 degrees out there. The rest of the nation is like getting buried in snow. And we're, we're running the air conditioning in our cars and stuff, you know, like, oh, man, uh, we are blessed indeed being here. So Psalm chapter 22, people are kind of working their way there, we'll, we'll pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you um, for your word. Lord, we pray that as we read through Psalm 22, Lord, that your spirit would illuminate its meaning. Father, that you would soften our heart to the word. Father, we pray that... Um, Father, that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would help us to understand this Christmas season with clarity. Father, may we uh, give you our hearts and our lives. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So read with me with Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I Cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver you. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me for trouble is near. For there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me. As a ravaging and roaring lion, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword. My only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard from you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. 
All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to dust, the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive, posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. And Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the prophecy that was fulfilled that is contained here. Lord, we ask that you would help us to navigate this text. Father, we pray that you would soften our hearts. Lord, help us to hear your voice. And Lord, help us to be faithful to you and your word as we celebrate this Christmas season. We love you, Father. We praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in October when I started the Psalms, I was planning on just doing Psalms in October. Then I was going to transition into Second Timothy. I'm like, hey, the Psalms are so great. Why don't we, you know, do November of Thanksgiving and we'll do the Messianic Psalms for for like December for Christmas? It seemed like such a great idea at the time. And then as I got to this this Psalm, oh, I was dying this week. I mean, up till. Last night at the last moment for me, I'm like, you know, Sunday is not, there's no pause. I'm not ready. I don't know. I'm going through this. I'm going up to the house. I'm going, Anna, I'm in so much trouble because like, what was I thinking? I thought about quitting. I thought about like, well, maybe I'll just trade Psalms. They won't even notice. I'll just put an easier one here. How do I handle this? And then as I got to that moment, no, all scriptures inspired by God, all scriptures profitable. I can handle this. I'll look to other guys. I have, couldn't find anybody that preached on this. Like, there's commentators that deal with this in a different way. Then I go to old reliable J. Vernon McGee. And I go, you know what? He always will put it on the bottom shelf. He'll, he'll help me to see this passage simply, clearly, and then I'll be able to go from there. Well, then I came to his opening introduction to this psalm, and I read this. There are several scriptures with which I never feel adequate to deal. This is one of them. When we come to Psalm 22, I feel we are standing on holy ground and we should take off our spiritual shoes. This psalm is called the Psalm of the Cross. It is so named because it describes more accurately and minutely the crucifixion of Christ than does any other portion of the Word of God. So I'm like, oh boy. That's how J. Vernon McGee opens up. This is not good. <laughs> but I said, well, how do I tie this into Christmas? Like, how do I, you know, we're in the season. We have the Christmas tree up. We're next week. We're going Christmas caroling, which is so much fun. Then within two weeks, it's Christmas. Like Christmas is less than two weeks away. It's almost 90 degrees out there and it's almost Christmas. And, you know, we're trying to do our national thing of, you know, buying as many Christmas gifts as we can because really the economy counts on you spending money. And that's what the season is all about if you look at the media and you go around. And so we're buying gifts, trying to give good gifts if we're ready to receive gifts, which is always fun. But what does all that have to do with Christmas? What's the big deal? And our theme verse kind of, or my theme verse in in, in harnessing the essence of Christmas is found in 1 Timothy 1.15. And it reads, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ 
Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I'm the foremost of all. And so Jesus came. We celebrate his birth, the beautiful little baby that, you know, all the nativity scenes. The reason he came was to provide salvation for us. We're sinners. We are, we've fallen short of the glory of God. We've been separated from God. We, we stand in judgment for our sin. But Jesus came and lived the perfect life. And I don't know about you, but often this free gift we talk about is viewed like our gag gifts or cheaper gifts. And we, in, in my family with my brother-in-law, we have a running kind of gag. I'm really excited for Christmas because I've been holding on to this item that he gave me last year. And so we kind of go back and forth. And I don't know what year last year's was, but it's one of those calendars that you put on your desk and you tear off the pages with the dates. And it's a better you in whatever year by Joel Olstein, big smiley face. And we like, Merry Christmas, brother, you know, and we got to go back and forth. And it's kind of like the only thing we're excited about receiving the gift is that next year we can give it to the other person, you know. So we kind of go through. It's like, oh, this is great. Or you get that tie or the socks. And it's like Anna's like, you remember when I bought you that wallet and you took it back? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. You won't let me. Like it just I was looking for something specific. And sometimes we get gifts and it's we just like, or even worse, last week we're at Julian and we go to lunch and after they bring the bill, with the bill they bring us these two red coupons. And it says, go down the road to our shop, free gift for you. We're like, this is awesome. Let's go get our free gift. I'm expecting like a new car or something, you know, like let's get, let's go. We walk in with the two little things and the lady's like, oh, you have the free gift coupon. You can choose over here. There's like, I don't even remember what it was. There were a couple different choices. And we're like, oh, well, at least we got a nice pretty walk in Julian. Like, we're not going to get this stuff. And she's like, well, I know they're cheesy, but it's really just to, just to let, you know, get you into the shop. And so we're like, Grace, you go crazy. You can have whatever you want. And she was really excited about that. But unfortunately, I think for those of us in the church and for kids that are raised in the church, what I want to avoid with my children is that this free gift that we talk about, we view it like this little red coupons, like, oh, like we get inoculated to the gospel, that we, it no longer hits us where it needs to hit us. But we need to understand, and I hope today that when we celebrate Christmas by looking at this psalm, that we will understand the cost that was paid in order to give us this gift. It's not, you know, you'll notice it's salesmen. When they always say, what do you want? I say, oh, I want something cheap. It's like, sorry, sir, we don't have anything cheap here. We only have things that are inexpensive, that are high quality. It's like, okay, whatever. You know what I'm saying, brother. But there's a song, you know, that we'll never know what it cost for Jesus to pay the sin on the cross or something close to that. And when we start looking at the Old Testament, Isaiah 53 is is a very well-known passage in the Old Testament dealing with the cross. Uh, It's been described that Isaiah is is the picture standing at the foot of the cross, looking at the events that are happening to the person on the cross, the whole events. We covered Isaiah 53 a few weeks ago in in the Wednesday night Bible study. And Miss Pat, at the end of it, she's like, well, I have a little a question or observation. You might think it's silly. And we're like, Pat, you always say that, but they're always really good. She's looking at it. She's like, this is describing Jesus on the cross. Or like, it seems, it's crazy, huh? 700 years beforehand. So accurate that skeptics said there's no way that this could have been the text. It had to have been inserted after the, the crucifixion of Jesus. There's no way it could have been done. 
And they were going back and forth finally in the 60s, the 1960s, seven, I think. I don't know. I forget. I'm not sure when it is. But the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. I don't want to be quoted on the record for the dates. But it was between the 1900 and between the 50s and the 70s, we'll say in there. And they found a bunch of, of scrolls from B.C. 400 during the silent years. And one of the scrolls that they found was the complete text of Isaiah before Jesus was born. And they started comparing the text of Isaiah and the Dead Sea Scrolls to the modern translation of Isaiah. And they determined that it was 99.999 where you keep going and then, they, you know, where it just kind of goes on in eternity. That it's so pure. And guess what? Isaiah 53 is there. And suddenly it's like, whoa. It's like, so this must be God's word. He, you couldn't. It was written prior to crucifixion even existing. And then with such detail. Now, I, Psalm 22 is another vantage point. Except this vantage point is being on the cross. We're going to the, into the mind of the Messiah. This is what he felt on the cross, his thoughts. Many scholars believe, although I couldn't actually find any scholars that said it themselves directly, but everybody that I read said, many scholars believe this. Many scholars, and they're all saying many scholars, but I think that they're including themselves with them, but, but kind of providing backup. Many believe that Jesus quoted this entire psalm on the cross, that he said this as he was on the cross. When we get into the introduction, like all of the other ones, we read for the choir director. So the person, I think, who would have the little stick kind of going back and forth, that's the choir director. I have no idea what the stick is for, other than I, I think it just makes you feel less awkward standing there. <laughs> but I've been told it actually means something. Upon, is there any volunteers to read these two words or I'll be happy to do it? It's Ijeluth hash shashar, which means something for the choir director and a Psalm of David. But when we look at this and we like it looking historically in the past, how in the world did this apply to David's life? One commentator says this, he says, because we can find nothing in David's life that would require the language he uses in these verses, and because we do find the cross of Christ answering detail after detail, he goes on to say that this psalm is a prophetic psalm. That when David penned it, he's writing it. He has no idea what he's writing. I mean, he's writing, the Lord's inspiring him, maybe he's going through something, but it was written for the, the event that would happen a thousand years from the date of writing. That Jesus, when he was on that cross, would have this. And when we start looking at the... Pro- when you really start doing a study of the prophetic events that Jesus fulfilled, it's scary. You can't... There's no way to falsify who the Messiah is. And so we're going to begin. And up here, you know, we've, I've been doing the, the verses. This Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, John 19... I'm not going to go. That's more for your study. Those are the crucifixion chapters in the gospel. So if you, you know, I I imagine all of you go home and you study and you really verify what I say. and You study hours and hours each week. That's where you can kind of examine. You can collate the gospel's account of the crucifixion compared to this psalm. And so the psalm begins. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of groaning, of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry day by, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. And so this is, Jesus begins on the crucifixion. He screams out, Rick knows how to say it. Eli, Eli, la, 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 shamakave. <laughs> That's kind of my, if I was looking at it. But then it goes on to say, this means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so here Jesus is hanging on the cross. There's no man that he can go to for comfort. He's suspended between heaven and earth. The world's sin is being placed upon him. And so the father is separate. He's being abandoned. It's being placed upon him. God is holy, yet Jesus gave himself up to be this. In Philippians, it's, it says that he humbled himself. The word is kenosis, that Jesus limited his attributes so that he's man. So he's there on the cross. The whole world is being, sin is being placed upon him. And he cries out, begins with this psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night I have no rest. But then he turns to the who God is. You are holy. Oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel and are in you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them to you. They cried out and were delivered in you. They trusted and were not disappointed. So there, Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he realizes the pressure that he's under. There's no way we can comprehend bearing the weight of the world's sin. But we can understand trials and tribulations. And I think there's a lesson. So what he does, he says, you know what? You're the God of Israel. You're holy. You're without sin. And all through history of Israel, you came through for those people. You came through for us. Even though they're wicked, sinful men, your faithfulness, as we've been all this, your loving kindness is everlasting. And he goes out, he remembers, and he dwells upon God's nature to get him through what he's, what he's dealing with. Verse 6, but, but he goes on, but I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. They were mocking him. King of the Jews, if you're God, why don't you just save yourself? He says, I'm just a worm now. It's interesting that David, when he wrote this, it's a type of worm that was red. That is where they would get the color scarlet for. They would use this this worm to make the red curtains, the, the, the atonement. So he describes himself as this red worm which you may or may not want to make a a big thing about. I just kind of thought it was interesting. And he's sitting there hanging. The people are mocking him, saying, oh, deliver yourself if you're who you are. But he stayed silent. But in his heart, he's crying out to the Father. Verse 9. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast... Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God with my mother's womb. In John 19, verse 25 through 27, it's the picture of Jesus on the cross as he's being crucified, as the weight of all of this is happening. He looks down. 
And he sees his mother Mary and he sees John the Apostle. And he looks at her or him, I forget which one. He says, woman, this is your son. He's not using his hands because he's crucified, but he's letting them know this is your son. To John, he says, this is your mother. History tells us that John, he lived the longest out of all the apostles. He's the only one that wasn't executed for his faith, not because they didn't try, but just because they were unsuccessful. He would live to be an old man. He, he took care of Mary to the very end, that he cared for her. He took this instruction of Jesus seriously. And here Jesus is up on the cross. You know, we sing that song, Oh, Mary, did you know? She, she knew. I don't know if anybody here has dealt with a young lady that's about to get married. I have. I um, it's, it's a very serious time in a woman's life. Don't make mistakes when wedding plans are on the line. I mean, they even have that show. What is it? Bridezilla? That's on, oh, there's a TV show about the, the volatility, the, the caution that you must, you know, people that aren't doing it well. Mary was no different. She's about to get married. She's a very good girl. All of a sudden, an angel just appears and says, hey, I, you're not married yet, but you're going to become pregnant. Well, well I'm a virgin. I'm, there's no, yeah, I know. You're going to get pregnant by God. Oh, man, people aren't going to understand this one, you know, but she ends up and praises God. She trusts. And here, Jesus, as he's looking down on her, he realizes who this woman is. Like Jesus grew up as a, he, he humbled himself. He, he emptied himself. So when he was born, they, they dealt with poopy diapers. He didn't come out potty trained. He stripped, he fell. You know, there's a lot of controversy over Mary. And I, unfortunately, I think the two extremes is where we fall. And I think it's a shame to the scriptures. On one end, there are those in, in the Catholic church who have venerated Mary they call her co-redemptress, where there's nothing in Scripture that holds that she is that. Everything in Scripture that she's just a woman. But Protestants, in their reaction, they basically delete Mary out of the Scriptures. This woman was chosen by God in eternity past to have Jesus come through her. I mean, here in Psalm 22, she's mentioned of a thousand years beforehand. And I love that scene in the Passion of the Christ when Jesus is carrying the cross. And she has that flashback when he falls of being a little kid falling on her knee. She was his mom. She loved him. And here she is weeping at what they're doing. She, if anybody knew without certainty who he was, she did. She's the only one truly without any doubt that he was born immaculately through her. I mean, I, Joseph believed, but he could have had his doubts. You know, only Mary would know. She knew from who this, you know, that song was saying, did you know that you're kissing God? Of course she knew. And so she's looking at weeping. She says, woman, this is your son. And that's not used in a derogatory way. That woman is a very respectful way to say woman. In the English, it kind of comes out like woman. You know, it wasn't like that. It's like woman, lady, dear lady, this is your son. You, this is your mom, care for her. And he's looking at her from the cross and he remembers, no, you, my, my, this was my appointed time. From birth, I was appointed to do this. Remember the first miracle, the John chapter three, I think. No, it wasn't John chapter three. It was uh, John chapter two, I think, at the two. They ran out of wine. She knows her kid's God. Jesus. She probably... 
get over here. Hey, they're out of wine. Fix it. Do whatever you got to do. You know, I know you're God. And he tells her, hey, it's not my, this isn't my time yet. And you see all through the gospels, it's not my time, it's not my time, it's not my time. But here on the cross, upon you I was cast from birth. This very moment was set in heavens in the history books. We see it as far back as Genesis chapter 3. He understands he's fulfilling the calling that he was brought to do. And then he says, as we read these next four verses, 11 through 14, you remember as he was being crucified? The English only renders it once, but it says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do or something close to that. In the Greek, it's this continuous action. So from the time that they're beating him, flogging him, tearing his flesh off of his body, crucifying him on his cross, he's continually, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Keep that in your mind as we read these verses. Verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is no one to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravaging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. Interesting. What happened when they jammed the spear into his side? Blood and water came out. And all my bones are out of joint. The crucifixion was tearing his bones apart, yet not one was broken. And my heart is like wax. It is melted within me. You see that Jesus is dying of a broken heart. This is his creation that he's bearing this for, that he loves them so much that he's bearing this weight for them. He says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. His mouth is so dry that when his tongue touches the top of his mouth, it sticks. He can't pull it off because there's no lubrication from the saliva. It's like sticking your tongue into the freezer metal wall. It's stick. I mean, he can't do anything. And remember in John 19, 28, he says, I thirst. And they lift up the wine to him to put with a sponge to put it to his mouth. He says, and you lay me in the dust of death for dogs. I want to stop here. We all love our dogs. We have pets. So I have to change this word to make it more valley centerish. For coyotes have surrounded me. Dogs then were scavengers. If something was dead or dying, they would go and they would start taking off the remains. So he sees that they're, 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 he's dead, but he's alive. And he's, they're being, the vultures are overhead circling. The dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I can count all my bones. Like, who knows? There's the thought. Maybe this is his flesh has been so torn off that his bones are exposed. I was raised in the Catholic Church, and you, every church you see the crucifix. I love. I mean, the crucifix. I have no like real opposition to the crucifix. But the deal with the crucifix is it's so rated G compared to what it was. His flesh was torn. The scripture tells us that you can't even recognize man or woman. And then he's there with his kind of his hair and he looks kind of nice. Like Mel Gibson, when he was making The Passion, initially they said, listen, if you do the crucifixion scene and you're being true to text, rated, it, it'll be, be whatever's worse than rated R, like NC-17 or like it, it can't portray the crucifixion for what it was because it was so horrific. 
And then they had this little loincloth on him, kind of, you know, decency. You see there, you could feel, count all his bones. You know when you get hurt and you realize, like you stub your toe and you're like, wow, there's like a bone. There. I never knew I had a bone there, but I feel it with every step. Like that every bone aches so bad that he's feeling every single bone in his body or simply that he's God and he can just count all the bones in his body. He says, they look, they stare at me. His body's so beat up, bloodied, naked. Often when somebody's dying, they'll defecate themselves. I've always said, you know, you read the textbooks and they say, oh, it's a real shameful thing for a Jewish person to expose their nakedness in such a way. I'm, I'm American. I'd be pretty embarrassed and pretty ashamed if I was on a cross with this sort of thing. I think it's a universal thing because our nakedness is not to be exposed. And so there he's hanging, beaten, bloodied. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them and they... And for my clothing, they cast lots. John 19, verses 23 through 25. So he's there. He's still alive. He can see the soldiers taking all of his clothing, all of his effects. Well, let's put him into four different piles and start rolling the dice to see who can get his stuff. Because he's not going to need this stuff anymore. He goes on, verse 19. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. In the English, this sentence continues. But in the Hebrew, it's, this phrase is just kind of abrupt. It literally, it's, save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me, like in an interruption. As he's calling out to the Lord, the Lord answers him. And before we go on to the, these verses, the second half of verse 21 to 31, which are the results of the crucifixion, the results of the suffering Messiah, I want us to pause. We're doing communion today, and we have crackers and juice, just crackers, just juice. But we buy the crackers. I go to the Jewish section in the grocery store, and I get matzah crackers. And they're made without leaven, so they don't rise. And we break them. And when we take communion today, it's symbolic. It's, it's, it's a memorial service to remind us. Then they make prefabricated um, wa- like wafers for communion, not opposed to them. I'm not, I mean, they make them. Sometimes they're convenient. They have them for hospitals. They use them for stuff. But I, I prefer the broken cracker because the, ra- the, the, the rugged edges are to remind us that, listen, this symbolizes Jesus' body. All this stuff that we just read in this passage, a thousand years before it happened, many years before the, cruci- before the Romans even invented crucifixion, it's to remind us that cracker, that Jesus' body was broken on a cross for us. The problem is, though, is if it was us on the cross and this happened to us, it would be just. It wouldn't get us into heaven. You can't pay your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. I hear people all the time saying, it's just not fair that Jesus is the only way. Like, oh, do you you really want to start going down the fair road with God? Because the fair road is, is if that was us on the cross, that would be the least of our problem. Like everything would begin after the death. The cross would seem like Disneyland compared to where we'd be going for eternity. That's fairness. 
because God is holy and sin, he can't have sin around him. So in order to restore fellowship with us, he sent his son that Jesus humbled himself. He did 33 years. He was born of a woman. He lived his life perfectly without sin. And on the cross, the Lord did not see his perfect life. He saw your sin. He saw my sin. He saw the sin of the whole world all on him. He no longer saw the perfect life. He saw the sin of the world and the wrath of that sin was placed upon Jesus. Turn with me over to Second Corinthians chapter 5. You might say, well, I don't really care about this. But it's important. And the reason that the crucifixion is so important is found in Second Corinthians chapter 5. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, what I love about this, it's kind of like the point. All before this, from verse 18 to 20, there's five or six times you see the word reconciliation, that Jesus is reconciling the world himself, that we have been entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation of the world to God. But in verse 21, it says, He, that's the Father, made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin. It doesn't say that he made him who knew no sin to sin, that he became sin, that the world, that sin was placed upon him. He knew no sin. He was free of sin. He never sinned. But he bore the sin of the world to be sin on our behalf, on Gunner's behalf. You put your name on your behalf. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son for salvation so that we might become the righteousness of our own good works. No, whose righteousness, uh, the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. You go, oh, I'm not perfect. I'm all this stuff. Uh, Satan will try to bombard your mind with your sins of the past that that are intended to kind of exclude you from walking with God. I have no righteousness. Isaiah tells me that my, that our righteousness are but filthy rags before the Lord. When you get these thoughts, amen, brother, I have no righteousness, but you know what? Jesus paid it all on the cross so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. I bear Jesus's righteousness. So Jesus on the cross His whole perfect life gave him no credit on the cross. But then in believing in him, now when God looks at us, he doesn't see our garbage. He doesn't see our sin, our our anger and attack against God. What he sees is that perfect life of Christ in us. It's been imputed to us. That means our account has been credited with it. This week, um, a couple weeks ago, I think, I forget, I it was east it was whatever who was the last holiday we were like thanksgiving on the 22nd we were driving up to go see anna's grandpa's house we get home and i kind of am checking the bank and i'm doing all the stuff when i get home and i see on my credit card and i see man two thousand dollars on that day did i buy that like plane ticket I'm like you know i'm like my mind's so like did i <laughs> i'm actually did i buy a plane ticket and not remember it so I call the credit card company. I'm like, you know what? I think somebody's like using my card and, and can you look it up? They're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
They're like, it's happening in England, and we'll, we'll basically credit your account. We'll, and they, they gave me money. They, they reimburse it. They take off the charges. It's fraudulent. They canceled my card. And then last week, I'm doing my banking again, and I see, ooh, another $2,000 appeared. And so I see Orbitz refunds the money as well. I'm like, awesome. I'm like, yeah, I better call. So I call up to the bank, and I say, you know what? Uh, you guys will probably catch this, but I noticed that you reimbursed me, and then they credited my account. And I look at the lady. I'm trying to be funny. You know, I'm, um, you know, if it's too much paperwork for you guys, you can just leave it there. I'll, I'll be happy. I'll, I'll, I'll get rid of it for you. I'll use it however possible. And she, she couldn't get a laugh. She's like, no, our, uh, our fraud department, I don't think, would appreciate that, and don't do that. It, it'll be removed. <laughs> they took it away. And then she transferred me to the fraud department. I said, listen. I don't want to cause you a bunch of paperwork. Probably shouldn't even call. You can just leave it there if it's too much trouble for you. It's like, sir, that's not funny. We won't do that. I'm like, just thought I'd try, you know. But the deal is, is that Jesus credited our account with his righteousness. Like, if this was, like, a, you know, I'm a, I fret the day when, when grace is older and suitors start coming. And, and you see, like, oh, I can imagine, like, if a boy gave a gift to her, it'd be like, no, that's it's totally inappropriate. You cannot have that gift. Like, now, this is an inappropriate gift that God has received, but this is, I mean, this is a gift that we don't deserve. This is the deaf mercy, you see, is, is God is not giving us fairness. Fairness is eternal condemnation for our sins and separation from him. That's, that's fairness. Now, him not doing that is mercy. But then him suddenly depositing it into our bank account, the righteousness of Christ, God's own righteousness, oh, that's grace. That's getting something we don't deserve. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And church... We have to be careful. May this never become like a broken record that it loses the magnitude of what Jesus is all about. We celebrate Christmas. What he did for us is overwhelming. Don't become and not, don't let, you know, like immunizations where you're no longer affected by it. The fact that Jesus stepped down into heaven, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your, my sin is huge. That should control the rest of our lives and how we live out our lives. So back to Psalm 22. We're going to look at some of the. We're going to look at some of the things that result. And I, I, there's a couple of things I'm going to point out as I read through this. I, we're going to see stuff like I will praise you, praise him, glorify him, stand in awe of him, my praise, pay my vows. Those who fear him, eat and be satisfied. Seek him. Praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. Remember and turn to the Lord. We'll worship before you. Eat and worship. So this, this response of worship comes from receiving the salvation. Suddenly on the cross, as Jesus is most likely quoting this, there's the hope of what the crucifixion is going to bring. And in verse 22, he begins, I will tell your name to my brethren. And as I read that thinking about communion, an aspect of communion that's missed by so many churches is found in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. It says we do as often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a reminder that we didn't do anything to deserve this. And as long as we take communion, we're reminded Jesus's broken body paid it all, all to him we owe the juice, 
the new covenant. He overcame the grave. We have life eternal with him. We need to tell some people about it. And why God chose to let us be his ambassador, it makes no sense to me. But I'm not God, and you guys can all say amen to that. Um, Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel. You say, well, that's not us. We're not descendants of Israel. Well, according to Galatians, we are. See, we're the S. And kind of what do you mean the S? To Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12, and I think it was repeated in 15, God tells Abraham that through you, all nations will be blessed. See, Israel's a nation. The S is all of us that aren't Israel. And in, and in Galatians, we're told that we become heirs. We become descendants of Abraham through faith. Now, what I'm not saying is the church is not Israel. God still has a plan for Israel. God's still going to have a work to be done through Israel. But we can read this and we're descendants by faith through the promise that was given to Abraham. And so we should stand in awe of him. We should glorify him. Verse 24, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. I love it. That you'll eat and you'll be satisfied. You know, we went through Ecclesiastes and never, whenever I see satisfaction in the scriptures, all I can think of is Mick Jagger now. Who he's tried and he's tried and he's tried and he's tried and he's still trying, but he just can't get no, 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 no satisfaction. He can't. Because the only satisfaction, the true where contentment comes, is through Christ. And that you can eat and that you can be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. It doesn't say for two weeks. Salvation is eternal. Today, it's, you don't have to wait till you die to experience eternal life. Jesus said, I came to give them life and life more abundantly. That you have eternal life in him today. That if you've believed in him, man, you're sealed for eternity. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All nations, not just a select group, all people groups will worship him. And all the families of the nations will worship before you for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is not talking about those who've trusted in Christ on the cross. This is those who've rejected, have scored him, have rejected Jesus. They're going to go down to the dust. But what's going to happen? They will bow before him. Well, this sounds a lot like Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Let's go there. before Because I, I kind of muffled it during the last service. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 says this. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow 
of those who are in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Every knee. You either bow and worship him today in salvation, or as Hebrews 9.27 says, it's the point for every man to die once and then to face judgment. When you face him, you'll bow your knee for he is God, and you'll go to dist- down to the dust. In Psalm 22, the scripture fits together. There's no, it's not inconsistent. Um, verse 29 is where we were. All the prosperous earth will eat and worship. All those who go to the, down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive, posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and they will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. What is Christmas all about? First Timothy 1.15 says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus came, his birth. He, he was born to us of a virgin to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. And in verses 30 and 31, we see here that says they for the generations will tell of this, that he has performed it. It is complete. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. For some reason, that chorus never gets old to me. They will come and declare his righteousness. So when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, it's not about helping our economy out by buying more gifts. It's not about buying each other presents. It's not about receiving presents, even though it's a fun thing that we do in our culture. It's okay to give and receive presents. I'm not opposed to this. But the issue is that God gave his son to us that we could be saved from our sin. And so today we're going to take communion. As we look at Psalm 22, this brokenness, as we pass the elements of the broken cracker and the juice, the first part of communion is to reflect. Now, if you've never believed, communion is for Christians. It's for those who have believed. Now, there's no magic formula. It took me a long time to realize that salvation is simply by believing. If going through this and suddenly during today, you were not a believer beforehand, and then today you're reading through this and it clicked in your head, you know what? Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I totally believe and I give him my life. I bow and worship. You're, you're already sin- There's nowhere in the scriptures I can find that there's a sinner's prayer to make salvation effective. Like it's like you, when you believe, you're saved. And so for those of us who are saved, who have trusted in Christ, this bread and juice, the cracker and grape juice, it's a memorial service. We're reminded, you know what? Man, Jesus died on the cross for me. The longer we kind of like do the Christian thing and start living for the Lord, it's really easy for me now that it's been a, a few years to go, man, look what I've done. I'm a straight shooter, don't drink anymore, I haven't drank in a long time, pastor of a church, teach the Bible every week. I'm pretty, pretty good to go. Look what I've done for myself. <laughs> oh, I'm in trouble then. I'm in trouble. And the, the doing the communion, and it goes, no, I didn't, I didn't do squat. And I think that's a theological term. Like, I don't, nothing, nada. I can't, there's... Jesus' body paid it all. He did it on the cross for me. He rose from the dead. He did it all. I did nothing. If I have any bit of righteousness, it's his. 
It's not my own. It's been imputed to my account. There's been a clerical error, and suddenly I'm a multimillionaire when it comes to righteousness. But it's not because I earned it. It's not because I did anything to deserve it. It's because he gave it to me. And so we're going to, the guys are going to come forward. We're going to pass out the elements. Hold on to the elements. And as we sing this song, White as Snow, just take this time to reflect and say, Lord, where am I missing the mark? Where do I need to confess sin? And if you draw a blank to get the ball rolling, the first thing you can do is to confess your pride. Because we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all make mistakes. So just say, Lord, here's my life. And just think. And if, if something comes to your mind, 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful to make us righteous, to holy. He's forgiven us. So let's pray, and then we'll sing the song. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the work that was done on the cross. And we thank you, Lord for the prophecy that this text that we're reading today happened a thousand years prior to the crucifixion and that Jesus fulfilled it so perfectly, Lord. We pray that you would help us to see that we're clean, that we're white as snow through the blood of Christ. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we do thank you that, Lord, you make it possible for us to be clean of our sin, that we would be white as snow, that through the blood of Christ we can be healed of our sins. We thank you, Lord. Father, we pray for our nation, Lord, and um, Father, we've just turned from you. And so, Lord, as Daniel prayed, Lord, for the forgiveness of the sins of his people, Lord, we just, we, we, uh, We come before you, Lord, and we pray that you would do a work in our nation, Lord, that you would um, help restore us to a people who love and fear you. And, Father, we do thank you that uh, we as your children, Lord, have been cleansed. Father, we pray that you would help us to walk in newness of life, Lord. Father, as we sin, we pray um, we would be quick uh, to fill the the zap of your spirit, Lord, convicting us, that we would quickly um, resist the temptation Father, that if we stumble, Lord, we would turn to you quickly and repent. And, Father, we in this body, Lord, we're just torn, and and there's a battle waging within us, and we desperately need you, Lord, uh, to help us to win this fight. We pray this in Jesus' name. So as we hold this little cracker and this juice, we're reminded of the broken body and the blood of Christ, the the new covenant. And, whoops, it's still clean, five seconds. That's really embarrassing. <laughs> I'm reminded I'm not perfect. And 
But when we start studying the prophecy and you really consider like every little detail that Jesus lived out in his life, like it was told thousands of years beforehand, there is no way that the Messiah could be counterfeited. There are many prophecies that have been fulfilled and there are many to be fulfilled. And the ones that have been fulfilled, the longer I study and like as scared as I was of teaching on Psalm 22, like the reality of what he did on the cross, it's scary. I mean, we should fear him. This isn't just, oh, cute little baby, Jesus, uh, Christmas trees, gifts. This is that in Genesis chapter 3, we read that he would become and he came and he fulfilled all of this prophecy. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave for our sins. And so we confess, we, we cling to him, we need him for help. We remember that it's not about us, that I have this jagged cracker in my head, hand to remind me that Jesus' body was brutally executed and every blow that went to him was intended for me. And he did it so that I could have life, a relationship with God, that now after believing that Jesus is perfect life. When God sees me, that's what he sees. And this grape juice that represents the new covenant, that you know what? He didn't stay on the cross. I have nothing against crucifixes, but also the, the complaint is, well, he's not there anymore. He's off the cross, and I can see both ways. Both are good. You need the cross. You need the resurrection. He rose from the grave. He's living. He's working today. He's in your life. He's trying to guide you in the way of life. And so we're reminded that this isn't over. We no longer fear death. And then the final thing is that we're reminded that we need to tell the good news. Can you imagine if they discovered the cure of cancer and then they locked it away in a vault and didn't tell anybody? Like this is really, that's insignificant compared to the truth that we have. Forgiveness and healing of sins that we should tell somebody. Share Christ. We are coming up to a super easy season. Christmas Eve. Like this is, I would go to church in my worst days on Christmas Eve. It's a perfect opportunity to invite somebody and to to allow God to work in their life. So we're going to pray and then we'll take the elements and then we'll sing a final song. So Father, we do thank you, Lord, for really what you did on the cross, Lord. There's no way we can truly understand the magnitude, the weight, the costliness of this gift that you've given to us. And Father, I pray for each person here. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith. Father, that you would, Lord, if we haven't trusted into you unto salvation, Lord, I pray that you would help us move to that direction. Father, we pray that as we take these elements, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to remember that Jesus' body was broken, his blood was shed, Lord, that he paid it all. We thank you, Lord, that we live under grace. We thank you that it's your love that controls us and it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Father, I pray that you would bring people to our minds now, Lord, people who don't know you. Father, I pray that we would become burdened for their, their separation from you. Father, I pray that you would help us to sense your spirit's leading us Um, us be a testimony to them, that we would share Christ with them, that we would invite them, that we would offer them a a cool cup of water, whatever it is, Lord. May you guide us, Lord.
We thank you that you've used us, that you're using us as your ambassadors. Father, help us to be faithful in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as you're able.